Chapter Twenty Six of the Empire of Russia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Davidson. The Empire of Russia from the remotest periods to the present time by john stevens cabot abbott reign of catherine the second from seventeen seventy four to seventeen eighty one peace with turkey count of catherine the second her personal appearance and habits conspiracy and rebellion defeat of the rebels magnanimity of catherine the second ambition of the empress court favorite division of russia into provinces internal improvements new partition of poland death of the wife of paul second marriage of the grand duke splendor of the russian court russia and austria secretly combine to drive the turks out of europe the emperor joseph the second in 1774 Peace was concluded with Turkey on terms which added greatly to the renown and grandeur of Russia. By this treaty, the Crimea was severed from the Ottoman port and declared to be independent. Russia obtained the free navigation of the Black Sea, the Bosphorus, and the Dardanelles. Immense tracts of land lying on the Euxine were ceded to Russia and the grand senior also paid catherine a large sum of money to defray the expenses of the war no language can describe the exaltation which this treaty created in st petersburg eight days were devoted by order of the empress to feasts and rejoicings the doors of the prisons were thrown open and even the siberian exiles were permitted to return the court of catherine the second at this period was the most brilliant in europe in no other court was more attention paid to the most polished and agreeable manners the expenditure on her court establishment amounted to nearly four millions of dollars a year in personal appearance the empress was endowed with the attractions both of beauty and of queenly dignity a contemporary writer thus describes her she is of that stature which is necessarily requisite to perfect elegance of form in a lady she has fine large blue eyes with eyebrows and hair of a brownish color her mouth is well proportioned chin round with a forehead regular and open her hands and arms are round and white and her figure plump her bosom is full her neck high and she carries her head with peculiar grace the empress never wears rich clothes except on solemn festivals when her head and corset are entirely set with brilliance and she wears a crown of diamonds and precious stones her gait is majestic and in the whole of her form and manner there is something so dignified and noble that if she were to be seen without ornament or any outward marks of distinction among a great number of ladies of rank she would be immediately esteemed the chief she seems born to command though in her character there is more of liveliness than of gravity she is courteous gentle benevolent and outwardly devout like almost every one who has attained distinction catherine was very systematic in the employment of her time 
She usually rose about five o'clock, both in summer and winter, and what seems most remarkable, prepared her own simple breakfast, as she was not fond of being waited upon. But a short time was devoted to her toilet. From eight to eleven, in the forenoon, she was busy in her cabinet, signing commissions and issuing orders of various purport. The hour from eleven to twelve was daily devoted to divine worship in her chapel. Then, until one o'clock, she gave audience to the ministers of the various departments. From half-past one till two she dined. Then she returned to her cabinet, where she was busily employed in cares of state until four o'clock, when she took an airing on a coach or sledge. At six she usually exhibited herself for a short time to her subjects at the theatre, and at ten o'clock she retired. Court balls were not unfrequently given, but the empress never condescended to dance, though occasionally she would make one at a game of cards. She, however, took but little interest in the game, being much more fond of talking with the ladies, generals, and ministers who surrounded her. Even from these court balls the very sensible empress usually retired by a side door at ten o'clock. The empress informed herself minutely of everything which concerned the administration of government. Her ministers were merely instruments in her hands executing her imperial will. All matters relating to the army, the navy, the finances, the punishment of crime, and to foreign affairs were reported to her by her ministers and were guided by her decisions. There must always be in every government an opposition party, that is, a party who wish to eject from office those in power, that they themselves may enjoy the loaves and fishes of governmental favor. This is peculiarly the case in an empire where a large class of haughty nobles are struggling for the preeminence. Many of the bigoted clergy were exasperated by the toleration which the empress enjoined, and they united with the disaffected lords in a conspiracy for a revolution. The clergy in the provinces had great influence over the unlettered boors, and the conspiracy soon assumed a very threatening aspect. The first rising of rebellion was by the wild population scattered along the banks of the Don. The rebellion was headed by an impostor, who declared that he was Peter the Third, and that, having escaped from those who had attempted his assassination, he had concealed himself for a long time, waiting for vengeance. This barbaric chieftain, who was called Pugachev, very soon found himself at the head of fourteen thousand fierce warriors, and commenced ravaging Oriental Russia. For a season his march was a constant victory. Many thousand Siberian exiles escaped from their gloomy realms and joined his standards. So astonishing was his success that even Catherine trembled. Pugachev waged a war of extermination among the nobles, who were the supporters of Catherine, in cold blood beheading their wives and children, and conferring their titles and estates upon his followers. The Empress found it necessary to rouse all her energies to meet this peril. She issued a manifesto, which was circulated through all the towns of the empire, and raised a large army, which was dispatched to crush the rebellion. Battle after battle ensued, until at last, in a decisive conflict, the hosts of Pugachev were utterly cut up. Still, this indefatigable warrior soon raised another army from the untamed barbarians of the Don, and rapidly descending the Volga, attacked by surprise some Russian regiments encamped upon its banks, 
and routed them with fearful slaughter. The astronomer Lovich, a member of the Imperial Academy of Sciences at St. Petersburg, was at that time under the protection of these regiments, surveying the route for a canal between the Don and the Volga. Pugachev ordered his dragoons to thrust their pikes into the unfortunate man and raise him upon them into the air, in order, he said, that he may be nearer the stars. They did this, and then cut him to pieces with their sabres. The troops of Catherine pursued the rebels, encountered them in some intricate passes of the mountains where escape was impossible, and overwhelmed them with destruction. Their vigorous leader, leaping from crag to crag, escaped, swam the Volga, crossed in solitude vast deserts, and made new attempts to rally partisans around him. But his last hour was sounded. Deserted by all, he was wandering from place to place, pursued like a wild beast, when some of his own confederates, basely betraying him, seized him after a violent struggle, put him in irons, and delivered him to one of the officers of the Russian army. The wretched man, preserving impenetrable silence, was conveyed to Moscow in an iron cage. Refusing to eat, food was forced down his stomach. The empress immediately appointed a commission for the trial of the rebel. She instructed the court to be satisfied with whatever voluntary confession of his crime he might make, forbidding them to apply the torture, or to require him to name his accomplices. The culprit was sentenced to have his hands and feet cut off, and then to be quartered. By order of the empress, however, he was first beheaded. Eight of his accomplices were also executed, eighteen underwent the knout, and were then exiled to Siberia. Thus terminated a rebellion which cost the lives of more than a hundred thousand men. Over those wide regions, whose exact boundaries are even now scarcely known, numerous nations are scattered, quite distinct in language, religion, and customs, and so separated by almost impassable deserts, that they know but little of each other. These wilds, peopled by war-loving races, afford the most attractive field for military adventures. The energy and sagacity with which Catherine crushed this formidable rebellion added greatly to her renown. Tranquillity being restored, the Empress, in order to crown a general pardon, forbade any further allusion whatever to be made to the rebellion, consigning all its painful events to utter oblivion. She even forbade the publication of the details of the trial, saying, I shall keep the depositions of Pugachev secret, that they may not aggravate the disgrace of those who spurred him on. The Empress was ambitious to make her influence felt in every European movement, and she was conscious that in order to command the respect of other courts she must ever have a formidable army at her disposal. In all the great movements of kings and courts this wonderful woman performed her part with dignity, which no monarch, male or female, has ever surpassed. It is strange that it has taken so many centuries for the nations to learn that peace, not war, enriches realms. Had Russia abstained from those wars in which she has unnecessarily engaged, she might now have been the most wealthy and powerful nation on the globe admitting that there have been many wars which involving her national existence she could not have avoided she still has squandered countless millions of money and lives in battle which were quite unnecessary russia like the united states is safe from all attacks from without 
had russia employed the yearly earnings of the empire in cultivating the fields rearing towns and in extending the arts of industry and refinement infinitely more would have been accomplished for her happiness and renown than by the most brilliant conquests but catherine in her high ambition seemed to be afraid that europe might forget her and she was eager to have her voice heard in the deliberations of every cabinet and to have her banners unfurled in the march of every army there was an office in the court of the empress sanctioned by time in russia which has not existed in any other court in europe it perhaps originated from the fact that for about three-fourths of a century russia was almost exclusively governed by women the court favorite was not merely the prime minister but the confidential friend and companion of the empress on the day of his installation he received a purse containing one hundred thousand dollars a salary of twelve thousand dollars a month a marshal was also commissioned to provide him a table of twenty-four covers and to defray all the expenses of his household the twelve thousand dollars a month were for what the ladies call pin money the favorite occupied in the palace an apartment beneath that of the empress to which it communicated by a private staircase he attended the empress on all parties of amusement at the opera the theatre balls promenades and excursions of pleasure and he was not allowed to leave the palace without express permission it was also understood that he should pay no attention to any lady but the empress the year seventeen seventy five dawned upon russia with peace at home and abroad catherine devoted herself anew to the improvements of her subjects in education and all physical comforts prince gregory orloff had been for many years the favorite of the empress but he was now laid aside and count potemkin took his place catherine now divided her extensive realms into forty-three great provinces over each of which a governor was appointed these provinces embraced from six to eight hundred thousand inhabitants there was then a subdivision into districts or circles as they were called there were some ten of these districts in each province and they contained some forty to sixty thousand inhabitants an entire system of government was established for each province with its laws and tribunals that provision might be made for everything essential to the improvement and embellishment of the country the governors of these provinces were invested with great dignity and splendor the gubernatorial courts if they may be so called established the centers of elegance and refinement which it was hoped would exert a powerful influence in polishing a people exceedingly rude and uncultivated there were also immense advantages derived from the uniform administration of justice thus established this new division of the empire was the most comprehensive reform russia had yet experienced thus the most extensive empire on the globe with its geographical divisions so vast and dissimilar was cemented into one homogeneous body politic until this great reform the inhabitants of the most distant provinces had been compelled to travel to petersburg and moscow in their appeals to the tribunals of justice now there were superior courts in all the provinces and inferior courts in all the districts in all important cases there was an appeal to the council of the empress russian ships laden with the luxuries of the mediterranean passed through the dardanelles and the bosphorus and landed their precious freights upon the shores of azov from whence they were transported into the heart of russia 
thus opening a very lucrative commerce the polish nobles a very turbulent and intractable race of men were overawed by the power of catherine and the masses of the polish people were doubtless benefited by their transference to new masters russia was far more benignant in its treatment of the conquered provinces than were her banditti accomplices prussia and austria the road to china traversed by caravans was long and perilous through pathless and inhospitable wilds where for leagues no inhabitant could be seen and yet where a fertile soil and a genial clime promised to the hand of industry all the comforts and luxuries of life all along this road she planted villages and by the most alluring offers induced settlers to establish themselves on all portions of the route large sums of money were expended in rendering the rivers navigable in the year seventeen seventy six the grand duchess consort of paul who was heir to the throne died in childbirth and was buried in the same grave with her babe about the same time prince henry of prussia visited the russian court to confer with catherine upon some difficulties which had arisen in the demarcations of poland it will be remembered that in the division which had now taken place the whole kingdom had not been seized but a remnant had been left as the humble patrimony of Poniatowski, the king. In this interview with the empress, Prince Henry said, "'Madam, I see one sure method of obviating all difficulty. It may perhaps be displeasing to you on the account of Poniatowski, but you will nevertheless do well to give it to your approbation, since compensations may be offered to that monarch of greater value to him than the throne which is continually tottering under him the remainder of poland must be partitioned the empress cordially embraced the plan and the annihilation of poland was decreed it was necessary to move slowly and with caution in the execution of the plan in the meantime as the grand duchess had died leaving no heir to the empire the empress deemed it a matter of the utmost moment to secure another wife for the grand duke paul lest russia should be exposed to the perils of a disputed succession natalia was hardly cold in her grave ere the empress proposed to prince henry that his niece the princess of Württemberg, should become the spouse of the grand duke the princess was already betrothed to the hereditary prince of hesse darmstadt but both henry and his imperial brother frederick of prussia deemed the marriage of their niece with the prospective emperor of russia a match far too brilliant to be thwarted by so slight an obstacle frederick himself informed the prince of the exalted offer which had been made to his betrothed and without much difficulty secured his relinquishment of his contemplated bride frederick deemed it a matter of infinite moment that the ties subsisting between russia and prussia should be more closely drawn he wrote to his brother henry of his success and by the same courier invited the grand duke paul to visit berlin that he might see the new spouse designed for him he also expressed his own ardent desire to become acquainted with the grand duke catherine highly gratified with this success placed a purse of fifty thousand dollars in the hands of her son to defray the expenses of his journey it was at the close of the summer of seventeen seventy six when the grand duke left the palaces of st petersburg to visit those of berlin his mother who made all the arrangements dispatched her son on this visit in a style of regal splendor when the party reached riga 
a courier overtook them with the following characteristic letter written by the empress's own hand to prince henry june eleventh seventeen seventy six i take the liberty of transmitting to your royal highness the four letters of which i spoke to you and which you promised to take care of the first is for the king your brother and the others for the prince and princess of wirtemberg i venture to pray you that if my son should bestow his heart on the princess sophia as i have no doubt but what he will to deliver the three letters according to their directions and to support the contents of them with that persuasive elegance with which god has endowed you the convincing and reiterated proofs which you have given me of your friendship the high esteem which i have conceived for your virtues and the extent of the confidence which you have taught me to repose in you leave me no doubt on the success of a business which i have so much at heart was it possible for me to place it in better hands your royal highness is surely an unique in the art of negotiation pardon me that expression of my friendship but i think that there has never been an affair of this nature transacted as this is which is the production of the most intimate friendship and confidence that princess will be the pledge of it i shall not be able to see her without recollecting in what manner this business was begun continued and terminated between the royal house of prussia and that of russia may it perpetuate the connections which unite us i conclude by very tenderly thanking your royal highness for all the cares and all the troubles you have given yourself and i beseech you to be assured that my gratitude my friendship my esteem and the high consideration which i have for you will terminate only with my life catherine the grand duke paul was received in berlin with all the honors due his rank as heir to the imperial throne of russia the great frederick even came to the door of his apartment to greet his guest the grand duke was escorted into the city with much pomp thirty-four trumpeters winding their bugles preceded him all in rich uniform then came a strong array of soldiers these were followed by a civic procession in brilliant decorations three superb state coaches containing the dignitaries of berlin came next in the train followed by a detachment of the life guards who preceded the magnificent chariot of the duke which chariot was regarded as the most superb which had ever been seen and which was drawn by eight of the finest horses prussia could produce this carriage conveyed paul and prince henry a hundred dragoons as a guard of honor closed the procession at the gates of the city the magistracy received paul beneath a triumphal arch where seventy beautiful girls dressed like nymphs and shepherdesses presented the grand duke with complimentary verses and crowned him with a garland of flowers the ringing of bells the pealing of cannon strains of martial music and the acclamations of the multitude greeted paul from the time he entered the gates until he reached the royal palace sire exclaimed paul as he took the hand of the king of prussia the motives which bring me from the extremities of the north to these happy dominions are the desire of assuring your majesty of the friendship and alliance to subsist henceforth and for ever between russia and prussia and the eagerness to see a princess destined to ascend to the throne of the russian empire by my receiving her at your hands i assure you that she will be more dear to myself and to the nation over which she is to reign 
it has also been one of the most ardent aspirations of my soul to contemplate the greatest of heroes the admiration of our age and the astonishment of posterity here the king interrupted him replying instead of which you behold a hoary-headed valedictorian who could never have wished for a superior happiness than that of welcoming within these walls the hopeful heir of a mighty empire the only son of my best friend catherine after an hour's conversation the grand duke was led into the apartment of the queen where the court was assembled here he was introduced to his contemplated bride sophia prince of wirtenberg and immediately in the name of the empress of russia demanded her in marriage of the grand duke the marriage contract was signed on the same day the whole company then supped with the queen in great magnificence feasts and entertainments succeeded for many days without interruption on the third of august paul returned to st petersburg where his affianced bride soon joined him as he took leave the king of prussia presented him with dessert service and a coffee service with ten porcelain vases of berlin manufacture a ring containing the king's portrait surmounted with a diamond valued at thirty thousand crowns and also a stud of prussian horses and four pieces of rich tapestry upon the arrival of the princess she was received into the greek church assuming the name of maria by which she was ever after called the marriage soon took place and from this marriage arose two distinguished emperors alexander and nicholas the empress was exceedingly gratified by the successful accomplishment of this plan with energy which seemed never to tire she urged forward her plans for national improvements establishing schools all over the empire which were munificently supported at the imperial expense the splendor of the russian court during the reign of catherine surpassed all ordinary powers of description almost boundless wealth was lavished upon gorgeous dresses lords and ladies glittering alike in most costly jewelry many courtiers appeared almost literally covered with diamonds they sparkled in most lavish profusion upon their buttons their buckles the scabbards of their swords their epaulets and many even wore a triple row as a band around the hat frequently eight thousand tickets were given out for a ball at the palace and yet there was no crowd for twenty saloons of magnificent dimensions brilliantly lighted afforded room for all her majesty usually entered the saloons about seven o'clock and retired about ten the empress never ceased to look with a wistful eye upon the regions which the turks had wrested from the christians the commercial greatness of russia in her view imperiously required that constantinople and its adjacent shores should be in her possession in may seventeen eighty catherine had an interview with joseph the second emperor of germany at Molef. both sovereigns travel with great pomp to meet at this place after several confidential interviews they agreed to unite their forces to drive the turks out of europe and to share the spoil between them it was also agreed to re-establish the ancient republics of greece the emperor joseph the second received an earnest invitation to visit moscow which he accepted but with characteristic eccentricity refused to travel with the queen as he was excessively annoyed by the trammels of etiquette and ceremonial pomp the empress consequently returned to st petersburg and joseph the second set out for moscow in the following fashion leaving his carriages with his suite to follow 
he proceeded alone incognito on horseback as the avant courier at each station he would announce that his master the emperor with the imperial carriages was coming on and that dinner supper or lodgings must be provided for so many persons calling for a slice of ham and a cup of beer he would throw himself upon a bench for a few hours repose constantly refusing to take a bed as the expedition he must make would not allow this indulgence at molev the empress had provided magnificent apartments in the palace for the emperor but he insisted upon taking lodgings at an ordinary inn at st petersburg notwithstanding the emperor's repugnance to pomp catherine received him with entertainments of the greatest magnificence joseph however took but little interest in such displays devoting his attention almost exclusively to useful establishments and monuments of art he was surprised to find at tula manufactories of hardware unsurpassed by those of sheffield and birmingham he expressed his surprise on his return home at the mixture of refinement and barbarism russia had presented to his view the empress seeing that so many princes visited foreign countries decided to send her son paul with maria to make the tour of europe obedient to the maternal commands they commenced their travels through poland and austria to italy and returned to st petersburg through france and holland after an absence of fourteen months the empress had a confidential agent in their company who kept her informed minutely of every event which transpired a courier was dispatched every day to inform her where they were and how they were employed the relations between turkey and russia were continually growing more threatening turkey had been compelled to yield the crimea and also to surrender the navigation of the euxine with the bosphorus and the dardanelles to her powerful rival galled by these concessions which had been forced upon her by bullet and bayonet the ottoman port was ever watching to retain her lost power russia instead of being satisfied with her acquisitions was eagerly grasping at more the greek christians also throughout the turkish empire hating their mussulman oppressors were ever watching for opportunities when they could shake off the burden and the insult of slavery thus peace between russia and turkey was never more than an armistice the two powers constantly faced each other in a hostile attitude ever ready to appeal to arms end of chapter twenty six recording by kevin davidson www.blogordie.com